0: Hey listeners, today we are re-airing one of our very first episodes of Novel Pairings, episode 18 on Homer's Odyssey. When Chelsea and I launched Novel Pairings three years ago, we had no idea what an incredible community of readers would join us for our nerdy explorations of classic lit. This summer, we're thrilled to be returning to the Odyssey, a true classic among classics, this time reading alongside hundreds of readers in our Patreon Classics Club. If, after listening to today's re-release, you're interested in joining us for a slow-down summer odyssey, head over to the Novel Pairings Patreon page and join us at the $8 Literature Scholar tier. You can find that link right here in the show notes. In addition to weekly podcast recaps of each section of the Odyssey, you'll also get invitations to monthly book club discussions and classes to help you get more out of this epic poem. Along with our regular Friday bonus episodes with topics ranging from mythology 101 to buzzy summer books, and of course, access to our entire back catalog of bonus episodes and class recordings. Perhaps most exciting of all, patreon supporters will get first access to our limited edition merch shop opening this month we'd love to explore the odyssey and beyond with you this summer so head to patreon.com slash novel pairings to join our classics crew dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Good! I am excited to talk about the Odyssey with you today. This is going to be
1: a really fun one. We really wanted some good adventure stories this summer and this takes place on the sea so it just feels (laughs) like uh, a really summery read to me. Although I have to admit I did not reread it for this episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't reread the whole thing. In fact, to be honest, I'm not sure if I've ever read the whole thing from start to finish, but I did read the sections that you recommended because you've taught this before, so you knew which books or chapters to point me to. And I, I enjoyed what I, what I read. So yeah, I, I'm, I think that probably some people hear the Odyssey and do not think summer (laughs) read. Yeah. <laughs> but I agree with you. It's on the sea. It, it's an adventure story, and I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. So,
1: some people might have read this in high school English. I've taught it to high schoolers, but just to refresh everyone's memory, the Odyssey is about Odysseus. He is the hero of the story. And He just wrapped up a little thing called the Trojan War, and he's like ready to go home and be all victorious, but the gods are angry with him, and so they send him on all of these twists and turns, and his journey ends up taking years and years and years to get back home, by which time his wife is waiting for him, and there are a bunch of suitors trying to marry her and get all of his wealth. His son has grown from a tiny little baby to a full-grown man and it's, it's an adventure story and there's a lot of myth in here. The Greek gods and goddesses show up a whole bunch. There's some magic and there's some harrowing adventure and... I have enjoyed teaching it, but like you said, I don't think I've read the whole thing all the way through, just the the books or chapters that are fun.
0: Yeah. I I don't think I was assigned this in high school, but I was like a mythology kid. And we'll we'll get into mythology <laughs> and and why it's so enduring and all that. But you know, there are mythology kids there still are. <laughs> are there? Oh, there are. Is that like horse girls? <laughs> like horse girls, yeah. There are horse girls and there are mythology kids. It's true,
1: yeah. So let's just get right into previous experience with this and I can talk a little bit about teaching the Odyssey. I, I remember reading the Iliad, or at least excerpts of the Iliad in history class in high school, but I don't remember reading the Odyssey until it landed in my lap as part of the curriculum which so often happens so it's not something that i chose myself but it was something that was passed on to me and that was a necessary unit for whatever reason lord only knows but, <laughs> but i ended up really enjoying teaching it partly because the kids were super enthusiastic about not only greek myths but myth and mythology in general It is really easy to teach theme with mythology because that's, the themes are so obvious. So for kids who are sort of struggling with that like abstract thinking and coming up with themes, it's an easy entry point for them. So I was teaching this to high school freshmen. And it's, like I said, it's adventure. So although some of the language can be tough, and sometimes they struggle with that, the stories were fun. I mean, learning about Odysseus outwitting a cyclops or sailing through the sirens. It's just fun. And so they ended up typically enjoying it, but I think most of them just liked the introduction stuff that I did with mythology
0: because they're all obsessed with Percy Jackson. Yes. Yeah, that that sounds accurate. I, like I said, I, I don't think I read this in high school, although I was obsessed with mythology. I took a class in college on James Joyce's Ulysses. The whole class was reading that one book. And so we read a lot of sections from the Odyssey while we were reading that because Ulysses is a retelling of the Odyssey. It is not one of my pairings today. (laughs) (laughs) Really? It's not? (laughs) No, not today. But I... I just feel like I, like, absorbed the story of the Odyssey through, like, osmosis from being an English major and all of the allusions to Greek myth in various, uh, various literature. I haven't taught it. The freshmen at my school do read it, and so when I inherit them as sophomores and we read Circe, we talk a lot about the Odyssey and we look back at some of the books where Circe appears yeah, I, I this was the first time I feel like I really sat down with the book and tried to read it for a little bit more substance, and, and I enjoyed that. Often
1: when we say classics or classic literature, there's a certain group of people—usually they're white guys—who are like, classics, that means Aristotle and Socrates, <laughs> those are the classics— I don't know if you can hear my sarcasm, but I don't <laughs> like those people. But, <laughs> but when we are talking, I mean, if we really want to be super literal and historical about the classics, this is definitely in that category.
0: And so... Yes, if you major in classics, you yes. are going to read the Iliad and the Odyssey and all of the Greek philosophers and... I mentioned in our poetry episode that I took a class in college that was Greek poetry and philosophy in Greece, so I did get to read Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and all those guys, but on the beach in Greece, which made it a lot more fun, and so I, I like the classics. I like, I like thinking about the ancient classical world. It's just very limiting If you think that that's like all there is to the classics, it's very white and Western. And as we know, that's a huge problem in the literary canon in general and the philosophy canon and many canons.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And so one of the key things that I think people teach with the Odyssey is the hero's journey, which is a very Westernized idea of you know, what a hero is. But it is based in a lot of different worldwide myths. And it's definitely a journey that Odysseus follows. And it does make for some really easy teaching for seeing patterns in literature. So I can definitely see why this gets taught. It's not one that I will, like, carry with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no matter where I teach. it's It was fun, for sure. But it's maybe not my my favorite of all things that I've taught.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the hero's journey and, and what that is for people who might be interested? Yeah,
1: I don't know that I can list all of the steps off the top of my head. That is okay. <laughs> if people want to know the hero's journey, you just have to think of all of the Marvel movies. So any superhero movie will follow the hero's journey. There's... A call where the hero receives a call to go and do something. The hero is typically of an unusual birth, or there's like something, some special power about them. They refuse the call at first and they try and go back to normal life, but that doesn't work for them. So then they end up taking this journey. They face several trials, and at the end, they're transformed. And that's like the very bare bones version of the hero's journey. There's a lot of other steps and a lot more complexities in there, but that's the basic plot line that you're going to get of any action movie.
0: Yeah. And Star Wars is always the example I think of. And George Lucas very much intentionally based his stories on the writings of Joseph Campbell, who wrote about Carl Jung and the hero's journey and like that myth and those archetypal stories and characters that we see throughout myth and literature, and and interestingly, not just Western literature. Like we see these archetypal stories across cultures, which is I think part of what makes mythology so relevant and it just touches something in a lot of kids and a lot of people mm-hmm. across time and in a variety of places.
1: Yeah, we've we've mentioned on the podcast that we're interested in seeing how themes of humanity come across in different stories and, you know, what does it mean to have a universal theme? Is that even a thing? But myths in general definitely seem to. Yeah, I
0: I find that thinking about that and wondering about that really fascinating. I I took a class in college called uncovering the unconscious and it was about psychology and psychoanalysis and how it relates to myth and maybe what myth says about the different parts of our mind and the way the self operates and that was fascinating. I do think that there is a lot of universal something in these myths but then when you look at who are in the margins of the stories like people who are enslaved or women like there there are also voices missing in these stories. So it's an interesting contrast between this seems to be something many people connect to from all different cultures, all different genders, different backgrounds, and at the same time, these stories leave a lot of people on the margins. Definitely. So, okay,
1: let's get back to you being a mythology girl. <laughs> Yes. And I want to know what that looked like when you were, was this middle school or high
0: school or both? Or I think middle school. I had Edith Hamilton's mythology and I read it many, many times. And I was obsessed with certain myths, which I don't even if I want to share because I feel like after after my uncovering the unconscious class I feel like the myths I connect to reveal a lot about my inner soul <laughs> but I would also read a lot of retellings so I remember I I don't remember the names of these books but I definitely remember some cupid and psyche retellings that I really enjoyed I remember a book about Echo and Narcissus. That was a book that I loved in middle school. So, yeah, it it was mostly me carrying around my, like, paperback, torn-up copy of Edith Hamilton's mythology (laughs) and then buying any book that had the name of a mythological heroine in the title.
1: (laughs) I love it.
0: And I'm too old for Percy Jackson. I mean, I would happily read Percy Jackson now, but I didn't grow yeah. up with Percy same. Jackson, and I kind of wonder what my life would have turned out, like, if I'd had those to latch onto as a
1: kid. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, number one super fan. Yeah, I think I would have been. <laughs> so now that you were talking about that, I am remembering that I had a friend in grade school who had a copy of <laughs> the same book that you did. <laughs> mythology. And then her obsession transitioned to she ended up really getting into Wonder Woman and comic books, which totally makes sense now that we're talking about how all of that is related. And Wonder Woman specifically is very heavy, like it leans heavily into the myth- stuff. Yeah. And their, their island is very, like, their Amazons, and it's very Greek goddess-ish, and, uh, that, yeah, so that's kind of blowing my mind. Now I'm yeah. understanding her on a whole new level. <laughs>
0: See, the myths, they cut deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's talk a little bit more about the Odyssey in particular. I... Love like the interactions between the gods and the mortals. I find that to be fascinating, and I think that was a really interesting concept for a kid who grows up in like kind of a Judeo-Christian
1: mm-hmm. worldview.
0: That all of these gods are so poorly behaved and jealous and manipulative and always involved in their favorite and least favorite humans' lives. So that happens a lot in the Odyssey, and I think those are some of my favorite parts what are what are some of your favorite parts of this adventure story I also really
1: enjoy those I really like any time that Odysseus has an interaction with Athena and that's always really fun to read I think that maybe one of my favorite scenes to teach was the sirens when Odysseus and his men are sailing through and they have to put wax in their ears so that they don't hear the siren song but Odysseus ties himself to the mast so that he can hear it and there's a really wonderful Margaret Atwood poem called Siren Song that I teach along with it and like you said before in this story like many of the classic myths and stories of that time, the women are on the outskirts, and the only time that they're really featured as a main character is if it's a goddess or some sort of mythological creature. And um, seeing the sirens and considering their position and sort of reading that from different perspectives is always really fun with students. But I I really, really enjoy that poem, maybe more than <laughs> the Odyssey itself.
0: yeah. Margaret Atwood is clearly very influenced by myth, and I i don't know that poem well, but I really love, and I brought up in our poetry episode, Carol Ann Duffy's collection of poems, The World's Wife. She doesn't have any poems from the Sirens' perspectives, I don't think, but she does have Penelope, Circe, Calypso... And then some other mythological figures like Medusa and Eurydice. And I, I love poets reaching back into this tradition and giving these characters more of a voice. As listeners know, we love seeing how texts are always in conversation with each other. And myth really gets at the heart of that. I very luckily got to hear Madeline Miller speak recently at the NCTE conference. Super lucky. was in this like tiny room. She wasn't like the keynote speaker or anything. It was just a little workshop about myth retellings and how to teach myth retellings. And she just happened to be one of the speakers. And she said as part of her presentation that there's no such thing as the original myth. There's only retelling. And how even something like the Odyssey, which we think of as canon, would have been, each each orator would have given it its own spin, left things out, embellished things, depending on who they, their audience was or what parts they liked. And I just thought that was so fascinating that these stories maybe are so enduring because there isn't a single story, they're always shifting and changing. I
1: love thinking about that. And maybe that's part of why I never feel guilty about only teaching like five chapters of the Odyssey and yeah, that's it. Yeah. And absolutely. You get the complete you get the complete picture of who Odysseus is, you get a complete picture of Greek culture at the time, and it's all you really need. And it's also really fun to have kids retell the stories from a different perspective so like I said with the sirens write the scene from the sirens perspective or write the scene from Circe's perspective it's so easy to do because there's not a lot there yeah and I I love thinking about that and especially students sort of being part of that retelling that Madeline Miller was talking about that's so fun it is so fun. So should we talk a little bit about Odysseus as a main character here?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: We have, we have to. He... Okay, so I'm trying to think if he were alive today. Like, he could be a really famous military leader, but mm-hmm. I think it's probably more likely that he would be someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who was, <laughs> who's like really popular with a lot of people could get away with anything because he's super charming (laughs) super strong but also smart and yeah there's a lot to Odysseus and he's he's I mean he's like a total douchebag I think I don't know the rock personally so yeah I think the rock is maybe he's nicer (laughs) he's nicer than Odysseus but Odysseus is a pretty complex character I see him
0: more as, like, a Dick Cheney. (laughs) Like, um, yeah, I could see that too. Like a politician or somebody close to power who's pulling the strings but maybe not the, the face of the operation. But I do think that you're right that he's super charming. And I think that because I just approach the text already thinking of him as manipulative and that I don't like him very much. Mhm. It's easier for me to miss the charm, but I'm missing something that is really is on the page. People love this guy, and I think that is a really important part of his character.
1: Yeah. And he's he's such a he's a bro. Yeah. Like he's leading a ship of frat boys <laughs> across the sea, and he's just the frat boy leader and he's sleeping with a bunch of women. And he has a wife back home. It doesn't seem like anybody cares that he's doing that. Like, he's never really
0: condemned for that in the tale. No, he, he feels guilty. Yeah. Or at least he expresses that he feels guilty. And I think one of the interesting things, just quickly to say about the narrative structure, is most of the plot like the most interesting parts of the Odyssey are told through Odysseus's perspective where he's at this banquet And all these other dudes are like, tell us, where have you been? What have you been up to? And he's like, let me tell you about all these babes that just begged me to stay on their islands with them forever. And But I just kept thinking about my wife. So (laughs) hes I don't think he's a reliable narrator of his own story.
1: Not at all, which is part of what makes this so layered that he, yeah, like you said, the most interesting parts are told by him. You know he's embellishing. Yes. So is it really true that he tied himself to the mast? Did he actually hear the siren song or was he hiding with wax in his ears with his crew the whole time? Nobody's gonna know because he's the one
0: who gets to tell the story. Yes, exactly. And that's another thing that Madeline Miller brought up when she was talking about why she wrote Cersei. She said that, When she studied the Odyssey in high school, she couldn't get over the scene where Cersei has just turned all of Odysseus's men into pigs. She's clearly a badass and super powerful. Mm -hmm. She's a goddess and she's a witch. And yet in Odysseus's version of the story, he's like, pulls his sword out and is like, turn my men back. And she's like, please forgive me and come to my bed. I must sleep with you. And Madeline Miller was like, I just don't think that's how this would have gone no. down.
1: <laughs> no. And so we have Odysseus, who is inarguably smart, cunning, and he's a really great strategic military leader. He's the mastermind behind the Trojan horse. Yes. But also, he is a womanizer, and he's really selfish, a lot of the stories Where he and his crew are going to do something, he wants to like take something for himself or he pushes it a little bit too far because his curiosity gets the better of him. So we've got him, which is like very typical super testosterone-filled male stereotype, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have his wife Penelope who is sitting back home weaving every day taking mm-hmm. care of their son and just literally just waiting for him. And she's got all of these hot dudes knocking on her door
0: wanting to marry her. And we're talking about 20 years. Not yeah. not like a couple of years, like 20 years he's been gone. Everybody presumes he's dead. But Penelope super faithful. Yeah, and so
1: okay, so I am a military spouse. My husband's in the army. He's actually currently deployed. So I have experienced him being gone for nine months. I have friends whose spouses who have been gone for an entire year.
0: But 20 years? 20 20 years is a really, really long time. It's a lifetime. I mean, I don't know how old Penelope was when they got married, but I think we can presume she's like probably not going to have more children, like, it's just, she, her youth is completely gone, and you're right, she spent it weaving, she weaves her tapestry by day, and she tells the her suitors that she will marry one of them when she's done weaving this, like, funeral tapestry, and then she undoes most of it at night, which also, like, the fact that nobody caught on to that in 20 years <laughs> is a little suspicious to me. But they were,
1: so the suitors, they were like filling them with food and drink and they were eating up all of their stores and just having a party the entire time. So I think they were all too blackout
0: drunk. Okay, that makes more sense, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a big house party.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it seems, so it seems really unfair And obviously, like, it makes sense when we look at this critically, but Odysseus is sort of lauded as this great military leader in history and literature, but he's a selfish cheater and everybody praises him. And then Penelope gets praised because she sits at home and does nothing and remains pure and true. Yeah, And like, she doesn't get to have any of the fun. He has all the fun. Yeah, and it's just not right.
0: <laughs> it's not right. I love the Carol Ann Duffy version, the the poem about Penelope, because in her version, Penelope becomes an artist while Odysseus is gone, and her tapestry is not about delaying the suitors. It's about like having a creative pursuit for the first time. I love time. that. It's, I love that. Yeah, it's really lovely. If, if it's available online, we'll put a link in, in our yes. show notes to that one.
1: That's a narrative I can relate to So someone <laughs> yeah. who started another <laughs> podcast while her husband was deployed. <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: It makes a lot of sense to me. So we also
1: get Telemachus is Odysseus's son and he gets kind of his own hero story towards the end too where he gets to team up with his dad and defeat the suitors and it's this really bloody ending and it's kind of it's kind of disturbing as well this major revenge scene but he plays a pretty significant role and I I very rarely read through the Telemachus scenes with the students but he gets quite a bit of attention because the gods are sort of visiting him, they're kind of grooming him to be the next leader in Odysseus' place, and he's pretty present throughout the story. I just don't read a lot about him.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't really reread those scenes for our recording either, and I do, I think Telemachus is an interesting character in retellings that I've read, mm-hmm. and... I, you know, I think the question of, you know, what would it be like to not know your father for the first 20 years of your life, have no memories of him, and then have him come back and, you know, seek revenge, I, I, that's interesting. That is a great, you know, question that the story is, is asking. So I I find Telemachus to be an interesting character, even though I, I also haven't really focused on those books of the Odyssey itself. After reading Circe, I don't feel like I have to. No, <laughs> no spoilers, but love Telemachus yes. in Circe. Although my students have a really hard time with that.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Okay, I know. well, we'll just leave
0: it there. <laughs> yeah, I do. I will say about Odysseus. I think he's a great character, and I am somebody who doesn't have to like and root for a character to really enjoy spending time with them, and I I think that having an epic hero who kind of sucks but has good qualities, you can see why his men look up to him a lot of the time and then other times You think he treats them terribly and is very selfish, and Penelope at least seems to like really respect and adore her husband, and then you wonder what that kind of partnership might have looked like. I just think I I love a complex character, and I think because mythology often gets talked about as archetypal, we forget that these characters are rich and nuanced and full of contradictions. And so I enjoyed reminding myself of that, that Odysseus isn't just this trickster. There's a lot of layers to his character.
1: Yes. Oh, and I totally agree. He's super fun to read about. Probably really attractive. Like, I think Odysseus probably has a great butt. (laughs) (laughs) So... I don't want to just, like, knock him down completely. He is super compelling, really fun to read about. And the best heroes are flawed people. They're way more fascinating. And that's so, okay, if we had to pick a superhero, he would be Iron Man, right? Because he's a total dick, but he's also super smart, leads everybody, really selfish, not, like, great all the time. That's yes. who it would be. And
0: Iron Man is much more interesting than Captain America. And Odysseus is much totally. more interesting than Achilles. Like mm-hmm. that complexity is what leads to there being tons and tons of retellings of the Odyssey and of Odysseus as a character, and fewer, I think, about some of those more those flatter figures in mythology. That makes sense. So if we're thinking about
1: the relevance of these classics. And like we said, with this classic, we mean it is classic. It's real old. (laughs) Is it still worth reading today? Are there still relevant and enduring themes that we can draw from it for modern life or our current
0: moment? That's tough. I, I think yes, there certainly are. I don't know that You have to read the Odyssey to get at those themes. I think the Odyssey in mythology is so far reaching in contemporary literature or even in other classics, like I mentioned, James Joyce's Ulysses, that you can access those themes without having to actually sit down with the Odyssey itself. However, if you are interested in, western storytelling and the roots of like how to put that kind of narrative together. I think it's really interesting to go back and look at the Odyssey.
1: Yes it's not like Beloved or Passing where we really want to put this book in everyone's hands. And there is something valuable in a classic just being fun to talk about. I think that mythology and the Odyssey is just fun. Yeah. But yeah I I totally agree. I think you can get maybe more out of the story from reading something like Cersei by Madeline Miller or some of the recommendations that we'll have for our pairings. Watching movies that were inspired where um what is it? Brother Where Art Thou? What is that movie that is yeah. based on? Oh, Brother We're Out There? There's so much. It's so there's such rich storytelling that's based on the Odyssey that you definitely don't have to go back
0: to the original text to get everything out of it. I agree. I will say I read the new Emily Wilson translation for our episode, and that is also the translation I used with my students before we read Circe. And if you do want to actually read the Odyssey, I highly recommend this translation. The first... 100 pages are like the author's introduction where she talks about the process of translating, and I found that very interesting. She talks about how because the Odyssey is so old, the modern ear, or the modern brain wants to hear it in this like highfalutin Shakespearean fancy English, mm-hmm. but, but the Greek was, the original Greek is very conversational. And so she wrote it to be very readable and conversational, like someone sitting down and telling you a story. And it's so easy to read. It's much more enjoyable than any other version I've come across. And Claire Danes narrates the audiobook, and it's fantastic.
1: I'm really interested in maybe listening to it. I've always wanted to... I say always... Like (laughs) For a few years, since I started teaching it and was just like handed this book. It was just in, you know, those English books. It's just like a collection of everything. Yeah. That's the only version I've ever read. I haven't taken the time to sit down and read Emily's version. And that's one I really would like to get to.
0: Yeah. And I'm not an expert. Like I haven't sat down with passages from multiple and thought about like, hmm, what are each of their word choices (laughs) suggest? But I just found hers to be really readable and the context she provides in the beginning. And she's the first woman to translate the Odyssey into English, which is crazy. And so she and she talks about that in her introduction and how she kind of had a different perspective going in. Yeah,
1: I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that's a great one to recommend. You know, for people who want to get a little extra nerdy. For the mythology girls. Yes. (laughs) For the mythology girls out there. (laughs) I know there are a lot of us. (laughs) All right. Should we get into our pairings here? Yeah, let's do it. Since you're the mythology girl, (laughs) I think that you should give us
0: your first pairing. Okay, and I will say it was very hard for me to (laughs) narrow down my mythology retelling (laughs) recommendations for this so we will absolutely be doing a an extra episode at some point with lots of myth and fairy tale retellings I guess I was
1: a fairy tale girl
0: I love that we'll have to unpack that that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to it (laughs) because when you said that I was like oh that's what I was reading in middle school, fairy tales—those tale are retellings. all the retellings, like *Ella Enchanted*, and all of those were. That's what I was obsessed with.
0: Yeah, I I love fairy tale retellings as well, and yeah, I when I do the little assignment with my women in lit class about looking at myths, women in myths, we also look at fairy tales as kind of the archetypal female journey, and again, a lot of waiting, a lot of yes. waiting. In those. <laughs> and and speaking of my first pairing is the Penelope ad by Margaret Atwood, and I read this a long time ago, and looking online, I think it might actually be hard to track down a copy now. It might be out of print, but I'm sure there are used copies, and it's on audio, so I'm I'm going to recommend it still, because it's it's so great. So it's short, it's lyrical, and a somewhat disturbing retelling of Odysseus and Penelope's story from the point of view of Penelope and the 12 maids that Odysseus killed upon his return to Ithaca. So Penelope tells her life story from her childhood to her relationship with her cousin Helen, her marriage to Odysseus, being a mother to Telemachus, and of course, the time when Odysseus is gone. So that makes up the bulk of the story. And then there are alternating chapters where the 12 hanged maids make up this Greek chorus and they tell their side of the story. And they also lament the gendered double standards for sexual morality that are prevalent in the Odyssey. The language of this book is super modern. It's almost like jarringly blunt the way she writes it, which I found to be an interesting choice and something I really liked. And the structure is fascinating. In particular, the chorus takes on a different style almost every chapter. So there are different forms of poetry. Sometimes it's in dramatic form, like a script. And that was really fun to read. I haven't read this in a while, so I can't completely say how it compares to more modern retellings like *Cersei* or The Silence of the Girls. But I think from what I remember, it's more experimental and a little bit less emotional than newer retellings. Like there's not this like deep emotional connection to Penelope. It's more like experimental and, and intellectual. It's part of the Canongate mythology series. So that series has a bunch of retellings of, of different myths. By people like Jeanette Winterson and a few other renowned writers. So if you like myths, just looking at the Canongate series, I, I think is a great way to go as well. So that's the Penelope ad by Margaret Atwood. I love it. I think you would like this one. It's, it's weird, but very much like about themes that you enjoy. And it gives Penelope a voice, of course. Did you
1: read The Silence of the Girls? I did. Did you like that one?
0: I liked it okay. It it has sections that are also from Achilles' perspective. And I think my, my issue with that was not that I didn't think his perspective was valid, but the book was called The Silence of the Girls. And then to give half of the chapters to Achilles felt wrong to me. Yeah, it <laughs> so... is odd. I didn't know that. But I I did enjoy parts of it, and it has a beautiful cover, so it's still on my shelves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chelsea, what is your first pairing?
1: My first pairing is The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffenegger. And I loved this book when I was in high school, when I first read it. And I never thought of it as a direct retelling, but it totally 100% is. So instead of being lost at sea, Henry is lost to time. He has this genetic mutation that makes him spontaneously time travel. So he's also a librarian and he falls in love with Claire, who is a beautiful art student. And so it's so interesting thinking about Penelope being an artist because that's what Claire is in this retelling. So since Henry can't control when he travels, it's extremely dangerous, and his episodes end up sort of mirroring Odysseus's challenging travels. Henry has to figure out a way to sort of trigger another episode to go to a different time or to go back home, whatever present means to him. So Claire is very much like Penelope. She's fiercely loyal, deeply in love, willing to risk everything for her husband and their marriage. She spends a lot of time worrying and waiting, but she's certainly more complex than Penelope as told in the myth. I, like I said, I remember loving this book as a teenager, but I don't know if it's aged well. It was written in the early 2000s. I haven't read it since but I remember that it felt like an epic to me and I love stories with really high stakes and relationships at the center. So this, maybe it's more of an adaptation than a retelling, but I I really did love it and I would like to reread it again someday and see how I approach it differently
0: as an adult. Yeah, I remember loving that one too. It's also been a long time since I've read it, but hearing you compare it to the Odyssey makes me want to revisit it through that lens. All right, uh, what is your next pick, Sarah? All right, my next one is The Songs of the Kings by Barry Unsworth. And I read this as soon as I got back from my Greek poetry and philosophy class, as soon as I got back home, because my professor recommended it to me. And so... The reason I'm going with this one for an Odyssey pairing is I just kept thinking about this particular retelling as I was reading the Odyssey this time. So this book is mostly about Iphigenia, Agamemnon's daughter, who he sacrifices at the onset of the Iliad for favorable winds that will sail their ships to Troy. So he murders his own daughter for the god's blessing on their travels. And that's kind of a side note in the Iliad. So Barry Ensworth in the Songs of the Kings, he takes that story and he tells it through Iphigenia's perspective and her relationship with her maid. And so I really like that focus on female friendship because ancient Greece is a setting in which people didn't men didn't think women were capable of having deep emotional bonds. And I love that he turns that on its head. So the reason this retelling came to mind for me, one, is that there isn't any mention of Iphigenia when Odysseus goes into the underworld and meets Agamemnon. And I was really struck by that. Like, Agamemnon is talking about how his vengeful wife, Clytemnestra, and her new lover murdered him upon his return. But he doesn't say why he was murdered upon his return, which was that he killed Clytemnestra's daughter. Which, I mean, I'm not saying we should, you know, all seek vengeance that way, but come on. Like, you've got to own up to what you did. So <laughs> so I was struck by that, and I was thinking about, about this particular retelling. And the other is, I think that this book gave me a lot of my views of who Odysseus is as a character. He's the villain in this book. It's his idea to do this. He's very manipulative. He's trying to convince Iphigenia to to willingly sacrifice herself so that she can have a legacy and her name will go down in history. And he really is that kind of artful, malicious politician in this book. So I, I think that this portrayal of Odysseus is just particularly interesting to me even though the book isn't really focused on him it's much more focused on the women I liked this one a lot and it has a great heartbreaking but beautiful poignant ending so that is the songs of the kings by Barry Unsworth
1: that one sounds really good as well I have not read that one at all
0: it is good and I haven't I mean it's older I read it you know 10 or so years ago and I don't see it around that much. So if you do like myth retellings, if you liked if you like Madeline Miller, things like that, I do think that this would be a, a good one right up your alley. My next pairing is
1: I'm realizing the settings for these are really all over the place for my recommendations. So I like that. <laughs> First we were talking time travel and now we're talking outer space. Yes. <laughs> I am pairing The Martian by Andy Weir with The Odyssey. So rather than a man lost at sea or in time, this man is lost on Mars. And I really loved this book. I think that I listened to it with my husband on a road trip and he really enjoyed it too. It's hilarious, compelling, and fun, and it's also a case where the movie really lives up to the book and is maybe even better. So the Martian, our main character Mark Watney, is abandoned by his crew on Mars when they think he's dead after a terrifying weather event. So they leave him, and He is injured. He has limited supplies, but he is alive, and he has to use his smarts to save himself until help can arrive. So instead of gods and goddesses to control the world around him, he has science, and he faces a series of tests like having to plant potatoes and grow his own food, and he has a lot of heart-stopping action sequences that he has to go to just in terms of keeping all of the tools and living spaces that he needs to be viable on Mars going. And his narration is so funny. So talk about charming male characters here. He is hilarious and I think you just can't help but root for him and enjoy his sense of humor, and it's a quick read. It makes for a good family road trip, especially if you have older kids. I think that this would be a really fun book to teach alongside a science department if a school does any cross-curricular things. I think that would be super fun, but yeah, it's just a really fun adventure book, and it's a good summer
0: summer book to pick up. I have not read the martian but i did love the movie and i always wonder like should i read it and there's just so many things i want to read i haven't picked it up but that is a good idea to keep it in mind on audio for a road trip or something like that all right my final pairing today is not a mythology retelling even though i could just keep naming mythology retellings (laughs) over and over it is signs preceding the end of the world by yuri herrera and when I think of books that pair well with or connect to the Odyssey in addition to myth retellings, I think about episodic journey stories. So where we have a figure who faces a series of tasks while they're trying to get from one destination to the other. This one has some hints of mythology in it, certainly not Greek mythology, but it's mostly that episodic journey. So Signs Proceeding the End of the World is a gorgeous little book. That's about journeys and border crossings, both physical and psychological. It's about Makina, a young woman tasked with delivering two messages across the U.S.-Mexico border, so from Mexico into the U.S. One of those messages is from what the back of the book calls the Mexican underworld. We don't really know what These men do, but Makina works as a messenger for several powerful, violent men and their shady businesses. And so she's been asked to deliver a message from kind of one of these men to another on the other side of the border. The second message she's taking with her is from her mother to her brother. Her brother crossed the border sometime before and has kind of gone a AWOL. They haven't heard of heard from him in a while and she's sent by her mother to track him down and deliver this message. This book is so powerful and stunning and if you are looking for a book about crossing the U.S.-Mexico border I really recommend this one and it's slim which is nice There are three main reasons that I think this pairs well with the Odyssey. So first, as I mentioned, it's episodic. Makina faces terrifying trials as she continues on her journey, and the chapters are kind of organized by these trials and the locations they take place. So there are chapters called like the water crossing or the place where the wind cuts like a knife. So it just has that kind of journey, episodic, mythological journey vibe to it. Second reason is there is a mythological otherworldliness to the book. There aren't like cyclopses or sirens or gods or goddesses, but the whole book kind of has the tone of Odysseus's voyage into Hades. Like it feels like Makina is journeying into the underworld and back. And then third, in a completely different realm, it's a translation. So like any English version of the Odyssey the translator is crafting meaning through her selection of translated terms. So there's this kind of interplay of language between author and translator. This book is translated by a woman named Lisa Dillman, and the translator's note is so beautiful. I gained a ton of new knowledge and insight into the book by reading the translator's note. It actually added to some of my mythological understanding of the book. And if you do pick up Signs preceding the End of the World, I highly recommend reading the translator's note, maybe even reading it first so you can go into the book with greater understanding. I just loved this book. It was sent to me by a lovely bookseller in Nashville named Joelle who owns the bookshop there and I'd never heard of it before, and I'm so grateful to her for, for pressing it into my hands, and I would love to see more readers pick this one up. I'm so glad you went with a book in translation for your final pairing. Yeah, I love thinking about translations. I don't speak any other languages, so I can only read in English, but I think it's fascinating how translators partner with authors to to make meaning and add meaning and and figure out how the the best way to translate the story is I love it what is your final pairing Chelsea okay I know we've
1: recommended nonfiction on the podcast before but I don't think we've recommended any self-help categories so this is going to be interesting (laughs) but something that we debated in my classroom is whether or not Odysseus is a good leader So sometimes he acts really selfishly, and sometimes it seems like he's doing the very best thing for his crew. And he is a military leader, so I went to another military leader I know to get a book recommendation. So I have a book for Odysseus to read, and this is one of my husband's favorites. He reads a lot of leadership guides, but he loved Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Like to the point where he frequently takes it off of his shelf and like flips open to the pages that he's bookmarked when he needs to go and have a meeting with someone or when he's sort of facing a career change and things like that. So I actually read this one, too, and we have a podcast episode up on Here Read, She Read about it. So we discussed it together. I got a ton out of it. And I know that teaching is leadership work, but I just feel like it could apply in any sphere where you have influence, whether that is work or family or community. So Brene Brown shares how to put courage over comfort and lead with vulnerability. She walks you through some tips for having hard conversations as a leader getting rid of a scarcity mindset, and just other practical, easy-to-implement tips for leading with empathy and compassion. So like I said, our copy is dog-eared and bookmarked, and it gets a lot of use and love. So if you need some nonfiction, And you like nonfiction with stories. She does sprinkle in a lot of stories that illustrate her points in here. This is a good one. And I've read some of Brown's other work. I think you can start anywhere with any of her books. A lot of them have the same themes and they carry over and you'll hear echoes throughout. But this one includes a lot of information from her other work and studies on vulnerability. And I think
0: that it's it's a really, really good one. I'm so glad you picked this one. I haven't read this yet, but I have listened to your and Curtis's discussion <laughs> on He Read, She Read, and I remember being struck by your kind of reflection on how teaching is leadership, which is not something I think about frequently. And so I bought myself a copy, but I haven't read it yet. And maybe it'll be my next Libro FM because as I mentioned, I do like doing nonfiction on audio.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. And it you can just count it as your professional development for starting the school year. Yes, yes. Yeah, that would be a good one for me. With Odysseus in the back of your head. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So since we mentioned He Read, She Read, we also have an episode up talking about The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, where Odysseus features, not prominently, but he's mentioned a few times. And that's another myth retelling that we I know we both really really loved so
0: yeah we didn't pick either Madeline Miller book just because they're so popular and we wanted a chance to put some other books onto your radars but I love both of her books and one thing she mentioned about Cersei when I got to see her speak was that Cersei shows up in two books of the Odyssey and so Odysseus shows up in only 2 chapters of Circe and she intentionally did that parallel and I just think she's brilliant and her retellings are magical. They're they're lovely. I'll also just throw out as a another bonus Gareth Hines the illustrator. Oh yes. He was on this panel as well. This was like the best NCTE that's a English teacher conference workshop ever and he has a graphic novel version of the odyssey which is fantastic and highly recommend it to anyone like if you're the, if you want to read the odyssey this is another great way to do it and he has a very cinematic eye for how he draws his works and it's it's beautiful and you get so much characterization from his art highly recommend that too
1: yeah he has a beowulf one two I think and yeah he's incredible he has some
0: Shakespeare plays as well Mm -hmm. at this workshop he like sketched in front of us and it was I (laughs) he's so talented so cool it was so cool I'll throw out the third panelist was David Elliott who I hadn't heard of before but he writes myth retellings YA versions that are um novels in Uh, novels in verse and his book Bull is told a story through the Minotaur's perspective and it made me cry and it's lovely so extra lots of bonus pairings for today yes (laughs) because I can't I can't shut up my like mythology girl is like yes finally we get to be our real self today
1: (laughs) We are gonna give her her very own episode soon. (laughs) Don't worry. I hope so. Now she's gotten a taste for this. (laughs) Okay so what does our mythology girl have for a pick of the week to recommend?
0: so I mentioned that I did not grow up reading Percy Jackson. I'm, I'm a little old for that but I you know I I would probably read them now if I could could make time for it. And while I was looking at Percy Jackson, I discovered, and maybe this is common knowledge, but I discovered that Rick Riordan, the author of Percy Jackson, has his own publishing imprint called Rick Riordan Presents. And I'm just going to read from the website what he says about this imprint. I think it's so cool. He says, our goal is to publish great middle-grade authors from underrepresented cultures and backgrounds, to let them tell their own stories inspired by the mythology and folklore of their own heritage. Over the years, I've gotten many questions from my fans about whether I might write about various world mythologies, but in most cases, I knew I wasn't the best person to write those books. Much better, I thought, to use my experience and my platform to put the spotlight on other great writers who are actually from those cultures and know the mythologies better than I do. Let them tell their own stories, and I would do whatever I could to help those books find a wide audience. And I just think that's so cool that he is elevating other voices and other cultures and other mythologies, and I've heard great things about... Many of the books he's put out. I think they put out about four books a year and most of them will go on to be series. Okay, so get your mythology girl ready.
1: But he is working with Disney Plus and they're doing a brand new Percy Jackson TV series for Disney Plus. So the movies were made, but I don't think fans were thrilled with them and they weren't very close to the books. So there's more attention on this new Disney Plus series, and it's going to be a whole TV series. So I think you don't even have to read them, you're just going to get to watch the show. Oh, that's excellent. Yes, so my pick is actually a book that was recommended by Bezzy, our friend over at Being a Bookworm on Instagram. We will link to her account and her review in the show notes, but Like I mentioned earlier, my current audiobook is A Song Below Water, and it is about two black teenage sirens, so I love that there's that mythology connection with this story. We've talked on the podcast before about how young adult literature tackles big themes in amazing ways and this book takes on noir, police brutality, and friendship through this magical mythological story. So I love to see mythology and not just Greek mythology adapted and updated and even though I'm not finished with this book I feel good about recommending it especially because Bessie loved it so much and I get so many great young adults and black fantasy recommendations
0: from her same I I haven't read this one yet but I did purchase it this week during the black publishing power push and I am really excited to to start it as well all right Chelsea this was so much fun thank you for letting me release my (laughs) inner mythology nerd anytime This was awesome. I enjoyed revisiting the Odyssey, but more so it's just fun to talk about myths and these universal or archetypal stories and characters that reach back in time. So this was great. It was really fun.
1: And I think any time that we can sort of find something that connects to the readers that we were in a different time is always super enjoyable. I agree. Well, listeners, for more classic lit enthusiasm or podcast news, you can follow us on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod, and we're also on Twitter at Novel Pairings. We would love to know whether you pick up The Odyssey or any of the books and retellings we mentioned today, so please tag us when you post about them on Bookstagram. We are loving the reviews that... Our friendly listeners have been writing on Apple Podcasts. Those are so nice to read and super helpful for people to find us. And if you want to support the show, you can just spread the news by texting a friend and telling them about us or posting a recent episode on social media. All of that is
0: also really helpful and something that we love to see. So we'll be back soon with another installment of our short story club, About All Summer in a Day by Ray Bradbury. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.